Hello, hello. I'm Ashley Caudill, Associate Director for Learning Design and Teaching Innovation for the School of Education and Human Development at the University of Virginia, and welcome to Designed for Online. Formally introduced in the book Understanding by Design in 1998, Backward Design is a methodology for designing curriculum, including a course's structure, flow, and sequence of learning events. This instructional design method helps practitioners facilitate student learning by focusing on desired outcomes and learning objectives to inform the assessment and evaluation of students. While there are many instructional design models, backward design has become a popular go-to for instructors and instructional designers. But is it effective? And why should we use it? In this episode, I'm joined by an instructional designer at MIT, author of the book, What I Wish I Knew Before Becoming an Instructional Designer, host of his own podcast, as well as the founder of the Instructional Design Institute. We'll discuss the origins of backwards design, how it works, and how to apply it in the classroom with a focus on how to use it when developing course content, activities, and assessments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode for Designed for Online. Today, I have with me Dr. Luke Copson, who is an instructional designer at MIT, as well as a backward design guru. Welcome, Luke. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Ashley. That was the first time I've ever been called a backward design guru. So I thought I, it, I felt like it fit. I did. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> Um, so before we get started today, I was wondering if you could briefly introduce yourself to our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you went on a little bit about my background so far. Basically, I call myself like a certified learning nerd. My life is essentially instructional design. So my daytime job, I'm a senior instructional designer at MIT. I also teach. I'm an instructor at the University of Miami in the EDD program, the Applied Learning Sciences program. I also make a lot of content on the internet about a blog, a podcast, and a YouTube channel about instructional design. And I wrote a book about it as well, too, called What I Wish I Knew Before Becoming an Instructional Designer. So it's safe to to say that basically my goal is to crush all of my free time. I have done a fantastic job at that as I have literally none, but I love what it is that I do and basically talking about learning science, instructional design and learning experiences all together. That's kind of uh, what I do nowadays. That's awesome. And I stand by backward design guru. And I should have said instructional design guru based on all of the amazing things that you have done. So thank you again for being here and talking with us. Of course, of course. So I wanted to start off with the very simplest of the simplest questions. What is backward design and why should someone utilize this approach when designing their courses? Absolutely. It's a fantastic question. And it's funny because backward design, a lot of people are like, well, isn't that how you always design things? Is that you start with the end goals in mind and you work your way backwards? And it's like, you would think so, but there's been plenty of times, even myself included, where I was handed a textbook and was like, design around this. And it's like, well, that's the best way to design things. Like, I really don't think so. So really backward design is, as I just said, we are first starting with the end goals in mind, typically thinking about what problem are we trying to solve with training and with education. And we're thinking about our goals, our outcomes and our objectives. And then once we have that entire uh, thing, we actually take a step backwards, hence the name. Then we're figuring about the actual types of determining the acceptable levels of evidence, thinking about developing assessments with learning strategies and making sure that we can actually monitor and see the 
the progress and the growth of our students in real time, working towards being able to hit those objectives. And then once we have that, then once again, we take another step backwards. And then we think about the learning activities and the content surrounding everything and therefore making the entire learning experience. So in a nutshell, that is backward design, learning objectives, assessments, activities, content. Perfect. Thank you. And so you talked about how you were or are an instructor currently. So I'm curious, when you first started developing your own lesson plans as an instructor, did you utilize backward design from the beginning to develop your curriculum? Or is it something that you just kind of learned along the way? So I did, but I didn't know it was called backward design. But then along the way, when I first became an instructional designer, my first official instructional design role was at Northeastern University. And then that's when I learned more about this actual instructional design model. And I was like, oh, okay. So there is actually a name to it. And then the more I'm more, I started to dive on in. I was like, oh, I can definitely use this for throughout everything for all the learning experiences, whether it's going to be the courses that I was teaching in person at the time to now I teach a whole bunch of courses online. And it, same thing absolutely still applies with making sure that the thing that I really love about backward design, because there's a couple of different types of perspectives that we can think about. From the instructor's perspective, I love being able to think about the entire course as a learning journey, and then figuring out exactly where students need some more supports, or perhaps where they love something, something was super engaging and meaningful or relevant for them. And I'm like, okay, I need to go back and find that assessment or that piece of content and then say like, well, how can I do that more? Or if they are struggling what are different types of ways I can be able to go back to that specific moment of time and then find more ways to be able to support them. So backward design for me, I get to have like this entire overarching picture about every single thing that they do inside of the course. From a student's perspective, even though they're never going to actually say this, but what you are going to be seeing is that more and more of those light bulb moments are going off inside of their heads where they're realizing that the more that they are able to actually practice with every little step, they're building up that momentum, that self-confidence, even self-efficacy. And the more and more they keep on having these little types of meaningful practice activities and then working towards the real assessments and then being able to see and monitor their own growth in real time to then say like, oh yeah, I did hit this goal. I can now do this new skill or this new technique that I never thought about before because it does work if you do it effectively. So there are a few different ways about doing it from thinking about it from a teaching perspective or from like an instructional design perspective or even a student perspective. It all kind of comes into play. I love that. And so we talked a little bit about utilizing backward design, kind of looking at a course big picture, right? And as a whole, but I'm curious your thoughts on whether or not we can use it for, for lack of a better term, like bite-sized portions of the course. So if you just wanted to develop one module or an individual instructional activity, could you still utilize backward design? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because now you're just basically taking it as a more granular level. So a lot of the times that people think about designing learning experiences, they think about the courses, the programs, these huge long trainings. But as you just mentioned, though, that's that's not the case. We can do that for literally everything. So as a part of taking it from a module, you're still going to have a learning objective that fits at the end of the week or at the end of the module. So we're still planning around being able to hit a type of a goal. It's not going to be the overarching large picture course level outcome, it's now going to be more like the module learning objective. So if we're talking about for chunking, for instance, where it's just like, yes, we are chunking the material from module to module. How I usually design things is that within thinking about it from an entire module perspective, 
I usually try to be able to go and create multiple sections within a module edit of itself. So I'm almost taking it from like, we have the massive overarching uh, learning objective to then going into the module learning objective to then thinking about it even one step further down. And now we're getting into really that granular level to making sure that for that section, that moment of time that we are still doing this and keeping this in mind. Because the whole point about everything is still to be able to align everything at the end of a day to make sure that students are seeing something it's clear, concise, and transparent to say, I know the reason and the ask behind why I'm doing something. It's not just busy work. I can see how this is going to be applicable into the real world. And we could do that from a modular level, from an overall course level, or from just having one workshop or one training. It all can still apply. So we talk about backward design and I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Everybody should use it. There's nothing but advantages to backward design, but I don't want to assume that it's all sunshine and rainbows. So can you tell me, are there any disadvantages to using backward design? Of course. Of course, there's disadvantages for everything because everything that we're doing is basically a fancy learning product development is basically what an instructional design model is. So whether you're going to be using Agile or SAM or Waterfall or PhaseGate or Backward Design or for whatever else you want to be able to do, some people combine and mix and match the random ones to make it more fun. I have no idea. But the <laughs> thing is, is that everything has a flaw. Nothing is perfect. With Backward Design, there really are two different types of things that I have seen. One is a little bit more about the fault of the model, if you will. And one is actually more about kind of just uh, human error, I guess I'll say. So I'll start with that one because I have seen folks go through a backward design. And if you Google right now, like backward design template or guide or something of a sort, it is very specific. You are going to see you need to do step A to step B to step C. And you're filling out this template along the way. And the template leads into using something like with a uh, Google Excel sheet. And you can fill out all these different pieces of information, all very useful things. However, the thing about all of these different forms of templates and guides is that I have seen instructional designers not be able to get out of their own way if a problem does occur. So if you are working on something and you are so set and being able to just finish module one before moving over into module two, but then something pops up, there's a situation, something doesn't go the way that you want, you need to be able to call an audible and to pivot and say, okay, we're, we got to push this aside. We got to work on this instead. What if we do whatever? And for some designers, because we are so meticulous in nature and we are so detail-oriented and we follow through with everything, that literally like breaks people because they're like, I don't know how to <laughs> fix this. And I'm like, you can't fix it. Like it's like, all rules are gone. We need to figure out a new plan B. Like think about when everything shut down with COVID-19. I was in the process of developing several programs. And then all of a sudden I get an email saying, hey, you can't come back to campus. I'm like, got it. Listen, folks, doing new things. Let's, let's brainstorm here. What can we do from this moment of time? So you need to be able to think about that. So even though that's not like a backward design issue thing, specifically for backward design, because there are so many different types of steps to be able to follow, some people crumble if you change those steps. The other thing too, is thinking about how there are so many steps if you wanted to be able to think about the design process in its entirety, it can take a long time. If you let it take a long time. It definitely depends upon your stakeholders, your subject matter experts, uh, what your school currently does, the size of your team, the budget, the resources, all things of that nature. Sometimes you can go in and whip out something within three months and you got it, you're good to go and you were just rocking and rolling. Other times I've seen some programs take six months or more 
because it just takes so long because the program is huge and we're trying to follow this. So thinking about it from a time perspective, that's when you can do some more elements into trying to be able to incorporate that and to attempt to be able to uh, rectify that with a few different types of ideas. And I think it's very fair to say that it can take time because one thing that I feel like sometimes we struggle with is we have to get it done like right now. And I'm like, but you could get it done. But if we want a great, truly wonderful developed online course or any course for that matter, it just takes time that we have to put thought and energy into it. And so I think that is very fair to say that it can take time. And that's why some people might shy away from this particular model. But I personally enjoy backward design in my approach. And I always find it to be when I design something with that approach or that model in mind, it always seems to come out so much better than if we just kind of try to build it on the fly. So I'm always like, let's just take one step back and let's look at and let's figure out what our end game is before we just dive right in. The thing to piggyback off of that too, is that you also need to be comfortable with getting feedback early on in the process and figuring out if something is not working. So at, so I use backward design, but while I am designing everything, if I have, let's say a week or two done out of a four week program, I will go and I will launch a pilot program immediately. I, I just want to throw it in front of students and potential learners to say, what do you think? What's the good? What's the bad? Give me feedback now. And I know that for some people, they're like, but it's not ready yet. And I'm like, and that's fine. Like we can put like, like a, like a warning message, which like we've done, like we literally put like messages before, like on top of the page inside of the online course to say like, by the way, the video is not perfect. It still needs some animations. It, it's raw footage. We still need to do X, Y, and Z, or not every instruction is written out fully yet. Like this is the basis. Like just give me enough feedback to know, am I on track? Is it relevant for what you're currently studying about? Is it relevant for what you currently do inside of of your job, if it's a professional development type of an opportunity or a course. And for some people, like backward design doesn't say that. Backward design does not say like, go do a pilot program. Like that's more <laughs> about like agile of like, get it good enough. And then go out and then observe <laughs> the testing and the behavior, collect those results, and then go and apply that back with the feedback, and then just go launch it again. So it's a different type of a process, and especially for academics, they seem to see like, oh no, no, like it's 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 not ready. I can't I can't show it to you yet. And like, no, 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 like I want to hear that people are like, hey, it's not that great yet, and or it's like this will be awesome once it's done. And it's like, thank you. So you need to, you need to do that. And then that will help with the entire process. Cause then you'll know if you are truly on track or not. So it's a, it's a crucial part in my opinion, but I know not everyone does that. And I love that you brought up getting feedback from students because that's going to segue into my last series of questions and all about how this backward design approach impacts student learning. But before we dive into those series of questions, I'm going to take a brief pause for this episode's brain break, and we'll be right back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode's brain break. As always, I'm going to be giving you a trivia question. And if you're curious to find out what the answer is, be sure to tune into next episode. So this episode's trivia question is, which planet in our solar system has the most gravity? Curious what the answer is? Be sure to tune into our next episode to find out. And we're back. So before the brain break, we discussed backward design through an instructor lens. And I want to shift gears and talk about how it impacts students. So I'm curious your thoughts on how the backward design approach impacts student learning compared to other models. So 
It's interesting. No one knows how you built something or how you designed something. It's not actually talked about. And it's funny because I'm teaching currently two instructional design courses. And with those students, I am super transparent about everything. Like, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm designing. And for one of the things, though, that you know we know about from Andragogy is that the more that we can incorporate the students into how you design the learning experience, the better it's going to be because it's going to be more relevant and more meaningful for them because they also had a bit of a say into what you do. So for these two courses in particular, I actually launched a course survey right at the very beginning, like a week zero, if you will. And I basically asked them a ton of questions about what are you looking to be able to learn about? What are your goals for this entire program? Are you familiar with instructional design? Are you familiar with online learning? Tell me about your challenges. I just want to know as much as I could about them because then I took all of their feedback. And then as I started to actually design the course, which basically I was designing it literally in real time. I'm like, a oh, I'm like one week ahead of them. It's I'm like one step ahead of them piece by piece. The bare bones are there, but the more and more that I keep on hearing from them, I'm like, oh, I need to be able to talk about this in my office hours or like, oh, I should really include a reading about this type of learning strategy because they mentioned they never heard about it before and they were super curious about it. So being able to do that and then to show to the students about this is how I'm designing it. Yes, we have our main project. Yes, you're going to hit these different types of outcomes and objectives. It's like, but as you probably notice, like I'm literally incorporating student voice, AKA your voice into how I design and how I teach. And when you can do that so far, at least from this current uh, two courses I'm, I'm teaching, you know, the feedback has been like, awesome. Like this is one of the first times that you are literally like listening to us on the fly. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the point. I, I want to take in your feedback and change things because it does no one any good if I'm actually designing an eight-week course and then I get your feedback at the way end being like, oh, hey, professor, could you go back and change like week four? And it's like, yeah, it's already too late. Like, what am I doing? Like, yeah, good. It's going to help out the next cohort. Wonderful. But also I want to help out you in real time and not just wait. No, I love that. And I think that's something that all instructors should be doing is doing those check-ins and getting that feedback with the students. Because like you said, it could be something as simple as, hey, like, can you just do like office hours or you, if it would be great if we could apply this to our real life situation or jobs and going through and at the end of your semester, getting that feedback, you're like, well, we could have been making these small changes the whole semester and your learning experience could have been greatly impacted in a positive way instead of just sitting there grumbling and going, you know, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, being like, this course is the worst. <laughs> right. One of the big, one of the big rumbles that you're going to be hearing about too, especially within like grad programs and from any, really any instructional design degree program, you can go and find this feedback online is that the biggest thing is that everyone just learned about like learning theories and concepts. And then they're like, I have no clue how to apply this into the real world. I've seen that from so many different types of online reviews out there where I was like determined where I was like, well, for my courses, we're never going to do that. Like I'm going to throw in as much real world at you as humanly as possible. So trying to be able to talk about as far as for like, hey, the final project of this is that you're designing a learning experience. It's going to be used for your portfolio. You're going to be able to talk about this inside of your interview. We also do things as far as for like with problem-based learning, where I actually will show to them about something I am designing in real time, like within like my own like personal, like freelance, you know, business that I do on the side where I was just like, hey, this is what I'm currently working on. 
what would you do? Like, tell me more. Cause like, this is literally something we are doing together right now. And of course you can actually go and think about this. I'll give you the background, the information, the story. And I want you to think about it. Like as if you were a real team that you were working on this together, because chances are too, you could be very well working as a team of designers or SMEs or with marketing or design or with graphic designer, like whoever is a part of your team. And you will be doing these brainstorming sessions and doing whiteboarding and sticky notes and trying to be able to think about it. Like it's a real thing. So being able to let them see that has made a huge difference and not just talking about theoretical stuff that they don't know. Awesome. And I, I think that's a great segue into my last question. We talked about essentially you reserving backward design model for the development of your course and activities, but are you implementing backward design in how students produce their work in your course? So it's funny because everything that I do for those two courses is around project-based learning, which is pretty similar if you think about it to the yeah. model. Not, not perfectly similar, but decent enough where it's just like, no, we are going to be starting first by talking about the end goal in mind. So you're going to be having the overarching project. Then from the project, we want to be able to break that down into smaller milestones. From the smaller milestones, you're going to be able to see more in real time about monitoring your own progress and your growth as far as for you submitting every single step along the way, being able to collect feedback, being able to see that yes, you are on track or no, maybe you're not. And we need to go back to the drawing board. And then eventually at the end of the eight weeks, you will have your final project. And that that is essentially backward design in an interesting type of way. So yes, they are still doing it, even though some of the courses are not. Uh, well, one is actually literally talking about backward design. So I can't say that. The other one is talking much more about Addy. But there is one course that's really talking about backward design in its entirety. So that is actually really funny that they are designing their own learning experiences. But using backward design while learning about backward design. Very meta. <laughs> that's awesome. And then do you feel like your students like make that connection themselves when they're at the end of the semester, be like, wait a minute, I get it now. <laughs> it, it, so it's funny when I was in office hours, uh, one of the students he, he mentioned where he was just like, are we going to be talking about backward design now? And I was like, how do you know about backward design? He's like, oh, I watch you on YouTube. And I'm like, oh, well, I said, you, 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 you beat me to it. I, I, yep. Then you, given, you know what I talk about online. So it's just like, yes. So I thought that was super funny to be able to hear from people. Cause then of course, then everyone is just like, so what's backward design? And I'm like, well, here we go. And let me tell you about it. So it's, it's really funny. But then as soon as I mention about once again, what it actually is, what it comprises of, that's when every educator and teacher and coach and, and uh, everything else within the, the EDD program, they're like, oh, I've done that. I'm like, I know. Like, I, I know that, you know, we're just putting a few more steps, putting some more science behind things. Let's like, but it is a logical way of doing it. But now we're just thinking about it from more of a design perspective. And I think the thing that they always seem to be like, oh, this is kind of interesting is when you can take something and you can break it down into smaller and smaller bite-sized pieces where it's just like this week, just learn about how to write amazing learning objectives. We can be doing it on a random thing. It doesn't have to be your project. Just like, let's think about learning objectives. And then once you learn about how to write learning objectives, then the next week, let's think about learning strategies to accompany your assessments. So let's talk about scenario-based learning and project-based learning, and then narratives and journaling and experiential learning and all these different things of that nature. And then let's think more about putting around this as far as for content, as far as for learning activities and building it all together. Because then that's when everything really starts to click. And for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I didn't know that I could put a podcast in my course, or I could actually have students go and listen to like Audible. And I'm like, yeah. 
you can do whatever you want. Like there's, there's no, there's no limits to say that you can and can't do something within backward design or make an online learning experience. Awesome. You just need to make sure that everything is uh, accessible, that people can actually go and access it. But yeah, other than that, you can do whatever you want. You know? So it's, it's always, uh, it's always cool to be able to see them start to realize all these things as the semester is progressing. So it's fun. You hear that everyone listening, the sky is the limit when it comes to backward design. So those were all of the questions that I had for you. So I wanted to just thank you again for having this amazing conversation. I know that all of our listeners are going to be super excited if they don't already utilize the backward design approach, going ahead and doing that. Or they might be like, I've been doing this all along. Now I know what it's called. (laughs) So thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And that concludes this episode of Designed for Online. We've seen how thinking about and planning around the desired outcomes for your learners helps you strategically plan instructional content and activities. By focusing on the primary learning objectives, you can help refine your instruction to provide meaningful content and reduce extraneous content to help guide your learners towards success and reduce potential confusion. While there are many effective instructional design models and theories, Backward design is one you can utilize, whether developing a large-scale curriculum, a course, or even individual instructional activities. So what are you waiting for? If you haven't utilized backward design in your current practice, now's the time to do so. If you have an exciting topic you want to hear on future Designed for Online episodes, feel free to email me at ac8ga at virginia.edu. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.